Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Tesco. And I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and our connection to our own humanity. This is episode 70. We're doing another joint episode with Melita Thomas of Tudor Times. This one's on John Dudley. Just a quick note that the Renaissance English History Podcast is a proud member of the Agora Podcast Network, which you can learn more about and discover some new favorite podcasts at agorapodcastnetwork.com. Remember, you can get links to more information, resources, and sign up for my mailing list at englandcast.com. At the end of this episode, Melita mentioned several resources for Dudley, for example, and I've included those links on the website in the show notes for this episode. So now let me introduce you to Melita. Melita is a co-founder and editor of Tudor Times, a website devoted to Tudor and Stuart history, from the period between 1485 and 1625. You can find it at tutortimes.co.uk. Melita, who has always been fascinated by history ever since she saw the 1970s series Elizabeth R. with Glenda Jackson, also contributes articles to BBC History Extra and Britain Magazine. And we started off the interview by me, as usual, asking her to tell us a little bit about John Dudley's life and why she chose him as the person of the month this month. Dudley is famous under his title of Duke of Northumberland as perhaps one of the great Tudor villains. Um, He's held responsible for the attempt to put Lady Jane Grey on the throne, which resulted in in Jane's death at the age of 17. And he was seen in his time as a tyrant and a greedy, ambitious man. I think he's he's perhaps more complex than that. And his his background, he was the son of one of Henry VII's closest advisors. And so he had to um, overcome the hurdle of the fact that Henry VII's um, advisor, Edmund Dudley, was executed for treason in the early part of Henry VIII's reign. As Dudley Sr. was blamed very much for Henry VII's rather... Um, what should we say, repressive financial regime. So it was quite handy to throw, have somebody to throw to the dogs, which Henry VIII, um, ruthless from an early age, did. So young Dudley was overshadowed in his early life by the fact that his father had been executed for treason. 
Um, the reason we picked him for the, this person of the month is because, you know, partly because of that achievement to go from being the son of a traitor to being the most powerful man in England when he was Lord President of the Council and effectively the Regent for Edward VI. He's sort of an archetype for the rise of what they called the new men. They weren't of aristocratic birth, um, but they he achieved his position through a, you know, a good deal of hard work and loyal service to the state, but also quite a bit of um, intrigue and ambition. Um, so, he, yeah, he's a, he's a complex character, actually. Um, I can't say I've particularly warmed to him, but there are some positive aspects to his character as well. And I think he was... He comes across as a very, um, very intelligent, very driven man, very, very skilled in administration, uh, quite a you know, very strong and forceful character. And I can imagine that he was probably rather a bully, actually. And that's how he got his way, because he had a you know, overwhelming force of character. Mm -hmm. So like his background and his family, it seems that scheming and these kind of potentially treasonous activities were something that kind of ran in, in his family. And it seems like some families like just kind of are like that, like the Howards as well. Why do you think that is? What with him? Uh, well, to be fair, I think it, it's, it's probably the case that every family in Tudor England had a few relatives who came to grief. I mean, it was it was a piranha pool. Um, I, I think certainly Dudley Senior, his father was, there's no evidence at all that he was in any way treasonable. He was carrying out Henry VII's orders. And yes, he probably lined his pockets. Um, I'm pretty sure he lined his pockets, but he wasn't doing anything that the king wasn't wasn't aware of or 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 happy about. He was accused of treason as a way of deflecting unpopularity away from the the king, you know, the late king to on onto another individual. To, and to give everybody a feel good factor when Henry VIII came to the throne. So it is a bit harsh that he was, you know, considered to be a traitor. And uh, John Dudley the son, I, I think, yeah, he, I think he was a risk taker. He was a he was a military commander who, it, it looks from what you can see that he, he would take a calculated risk and he would deliver on it. So he'd, he'd weigh up, you know, a number of um, important uh, military campaigns that he was involved in. And he'd weigh the odds, and he would he would take he would take a chance based on 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 good odds. But where he came undone, perhaps, was underestimating that his opponent, um, Mary, she actually had a very high appetite for risk as well. Mm. well. That's not not the persona that people imagine of her. But when you actually look at how she lived lived her life, she she was a risk taker, and uh, and Northumberland probably you know, in the, in the manner of the time, assumed that a woman wouldn't wouldn't take that kind of risk. Mm. Oh, yeah, and I was thinking, I mean, I was saying before, I think he had a strong personality, but I also think he, like many people who are, are strong, charismatic, people follow him. He, he was a natural leader. Mm -hmm. So what motivated him, do you think? You know, when I first thought about that question, I thought, well, you know, greed and ambition, because that's the, the obvious answer. But I, I think there is a more complex element to it. Uh, certainly, financially, he was he was very acquisitive, and uh, you know I, I think it's obvious that he connived at his stepfather being defrauded of of money, and it, it's fairly clear that um, let's see when it, when people owed him money, he was quite prepared to send the heavies in. Mm -hmm. there, you know, there's definitely an element that he was he was quite ruthless like that. But 
I, I think he was also, um, I think the example of his father made him nervous. As I said before, the, the Dudley Senior, he, he'd served Henry VII very faithfully, but that that wasn't enough. You know, he still was executed for treason. And I think Dudley, who was obviously very conscious about his father, he, he, he wrote about his, his poor father who had been um, badly treated. I think he realised that when Edward VI was, was dying, he was afraid that if Mary became queen, even if he hadn't done anything wrong, he would be the scapegoat for the religious policies that had been followed under Edward that Mary was was bound to reverse. So I think it was possibly a preemptive strike mm-hmm. uh, because he, you know, he saw the example of his father before him. I mean, I don't know that, but that's that is the, the, the conclusion I, I, I've come to. Yes, he want, he wanted to be top dog and he didn't want to be uh, to lose out. But I think he was afraid that he would end up um, executed anyway. Interesting. What was his personal life? Like, you know, I think I just think about him plotting his son, you know, this whole situation. Like, what, what was his personal life like other than that? He was he and his wife were, were deeply attached to each other. She was her name is Jane Gifford or Guilford. How, how, discussion on how to pronounce that one. And she was the son of his guardian. So so when his father was executed, his mother, Elizabeth Gray, she was married to actually the king's half uncle. Arthur Plantagenet, hmm. so which which brought him sort of into the the orbit of the royal family because Henry was was very fond of his uncle. Um, so we don't know anything about his relationship with his mother because he was the ward of of Sir Edward Gifford, uh, who and then he married Gifford's daughter Jane, and they were they were devoted to each other. They had thirteen children, rather astonishingly unpleasant yes. idea, but there you go. <laughs> Uh, and at the end, when um, when he was imprisoned and he, his wife, Jane, she was, you know, she pleaded for his life um, far more. She she wrote that she was more more worried about him than she was about her children because he was such a good man and she'd been so devoted to him. And, you know, she was um, obviously loved him very much. But the whole family life seems to have been very happy. All of the Dudley siblings were very close to each other throughout the lives that the ones who's who survived into older age mm-hmm. um and they they he seems to have been unusually close to his children mm. so that's a you know that's a, that's a positive um a positive aspect the obvious stuff that he's known for tell me about the the lady jane gray plot and the whole kind of situation with that and yeah, just the background of all yes that. it's it's interesting there's there, there've been some different interpretations of uh, of late on on you know what who, who was responsible for what but just as a as the background so in 1544 parliament passed an act of succession which designated henry viii's successors as firstly his son edward as was the case under the common law and he was to be followed if he had no children by henry viii's elder daughter mary and any children she might have, and then by the younger daughter, Elizabeth. And the act also gave Henry the power to nominate further successors should should it transpire that Elizabeth, you know, that none of his children had had children of their own. So because there were there was sort of a choice of successors after the after Henry's own children. There were the descendants of his elder sister Margaret, but that was the King of Scotland or his um, half-sister, Margaret Douglas, the Countess of Lennox, or there were the descendants of his younger sister, Mary, the French Queen. 
Now, Henry, for whatever reason, decided that he preferred the um, descendants of his younger sister, probably because he didn't want um, Scotland to be anywhere near the near the succession. But he didn't he didn't nominate his actual niece, Frances, probably because um, he thought her husband, Henry Gray, was an idiot. And there's there's no, no other way of putting it, really. He was he, he all the descriptions of him were um, there's very positive stuff about his um his piety and his learning and his um, generosity and all the rest of it. But, you know, every description of him suggests that he really was not the sharpest, sharpest knife in the drawer. He was a poor military commander and just, you know, Henry VIII was a good judge of, of um, ministers and he, and he never let uh, Henry Gray anywhere near his, his council. So I've referred to him as Henry Gray, but at the, at the time that the will was made, he was Marquess of Dorset. So, so that so at Henry's death, he was to be succeeded by his children, and then by the children of his niece Frances, of whom the oldest was a daughter Jane. And the Grey family were um, Protestants, and Edward the Sixth, as he um, he obviously didn't live to grow up, and he became more and more firmly Protestant as he as he got older. And he was concerned. Now, whether this was his own idea or whether it was put into his mind by Northumberland has been a question and we'll, we'll never know exactly. But he decided that he should cut his sisters out of the succession. Mm. And he decided, first of all, he was going to name uh, only male heirs. He was, uh, you know, at 15 years old, he was a he was a rank misogynist. He, he was scout, he was scouting around looking for male heirs. But there weren't any because uh, Jane had no brothers. She wasn't married. None of her sisters were married. Her you know, there, there, there was nothing but women to choose from. So Edward had to give in and decide it was going to be Jane herself and any heirs any she subsequently had. And surprisingly, very soon after uh, Edward came up with this scheme, uh, Northumberland's son married Jane. Now, I know it's astonishing, isn't it? Now, the, the late and very well um, regarded Professor Ives his opinion is this was this was just a perfectly ordinary marriage between um, members of the nobility and they had no ulterior motive at all, which I don't think is a view that most people would have uh, would have now or probably or had then in fact because there was talk at the time that it was it was you know highly highly suspicious that that Northumberland was clearly plotting something. Um, so I mean it was clearly Ed, Ed, Edward wanted this to happen, but as I say whether he completely came up with the idea himself or whether it was suggested to him which is certainly not impossible because as I said before Northumberland had a very strong personality but regardless of where the idea came from it was not it wasn't legal because Edward for a number of reasons first he was a minor so he couldn't actually make a will in law second even though he persuaded the judges to draw it up as a thing called letters patent which are you know direct orders from the king they don't have the force of law that is greater than an act of parliament. They couldn't, he could not overturn an act of parliament by, by letters patent. So what needed to happen was for Edward to live until parliament could pass a new succession act, but didn't. So Northumberland um, decided, you know, he was, he was going to take the chance anyway and persuaded, bullied, encouraged the rest of the council to agree with him and Jane was proclaimed as queen and nobody in the country was at all keen on the idea uh, 
So he probably assumed that Mary, having been cut out of the succession, would either just give in or that she would, um, you know, perhaps uh, go abroad to her European relatives. But he certainly doesn't seem to have been expecting that she would raise an army, mm-hmm. which she very promptly did, had a huge amount of public support. So Northumberland, so it was decided by the Council of, of Queen Jane, as, as they termed her, that uh, an army would have to be raised to go and try to capture Mary. Uh, and Northumberland was obliged to lead it. He had hoped to stay back in London, but the weight of all of the rest of the council and Jane herself was that he should lead it. It was it was no good Jane's father trying to lead it because he'd already um, failed notably in any kind of military expedition, whereas Northumberland was a was a very fine uh, military leader. But he, you know, there was no public support for it. Uh, Mary. Uh, Mary's support was so great that Northumberland gave in without actually um, fighting. Uh, He was arrested, carried off to the tower and um, quite swiftly executed. And that was that was the end of him. I mean, he gambled and he lost. uh, It was a bold move. So on the surface, just with that, he sort of seems like a, you know, this villain, like you called him earlier, that he's known as. And you said that he was very close with his family. What else redeeming quality, what other redeeming qualities does he um, have? You know, whether, you know, not so much a personal thing, but as I say, he, he, was, he was a very competent administrator. He was a, he was a good, he was a good um, military, military leader. Um, you know, whether that's a virtue or not, but I mean, in his time, it would certainly have been considered a virtue. But he also, um, one rather nice story is that when when James V died after the Battle of Solway Moss, he was Viscount Lyle at that time, he, re- he wrote, Lyle wrote to Henry VIII that he'd stood the army down because he did not think it was honourable to prosecute war on a corpse, a widow and a suckling babe. So he was, you know, it was not completely dishonourable. I mean, he could have just led his army and completely overcome the 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 Scottish forces which had been um so badly mauled at Solway Moss so he, he certainly mm-hmm. had a sense of honor it's not clear i mean he and he and Somerset who had preceded him as lord as um you know the lord protector in their younger days they'd been actually very close friends and as they they sort of come up with the scheme to defraud um uh, northumberland's uh, father uh, stepfather after he moved, he, he he sort of got rid of Somerset from power. He he didn't rush to have him executed, or um, now whether that was because he didn't want to look like the bad guy, or whether it was he he genuinely had some you know didn't want to take that route. I, you know you can't know, but he yeah. So I think he was just well good good and bad like everybody. He, he it it was a it was a very it was definitely a dog eat dog world, and I think the example he'd seen of his of his family, and if I should think half of Henry VIII's court was suffering from post traumatic stress, because you know all the ones who didn't didn't win, they didn't just lose, they lost their heads. So the, the stakes were very high. You couldn't just sort of say, oh well, you know, my bid for power didn't really come off, so I'll just go and live in the country. It, it, it was much much more brutal than that. So as soon as you'd started to to be ambitious you 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 almost couldn't stop mm-hmm. so yeah no he's he's a complex character and um yeah, yeah i mean i have to say i don't i think he and his wife sound um you say they're very very devoted to each other but they're completely um convinced that they ought to to 
have all the power and power and wealth they wanted. Interesting. And where can we learn more about him? Well, it, funnily enough, I, it, it's not that easy. I, David Lodes, um, who the late David Lodes, he died last year. He wrote a biography of him back in the 1980s, um, which I haven't been able to get hold of, in fact. So I, I don't know if it's out of print, but um, I certainly haven't been able to get hold of. He's He's very much talked about in other in books about other other people so there's chris skidmore's biography of edward the sixth which is very good uh professor ives book that i mentioned before which is called uh, the mystery of lady jane gray um uh, nicola tallis just a, f- a few weeks ago published one called the crown of blood which is about jane gray so so he's 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 a peripheral character in other people's other people's lives uh, there's a there's an introductory um book by a lady called Christine Hartweg, who I'm not sure how she pronounces that Hartweg, who has a website about the Dudleys. So that's a that's a an, a good overview. But most of the in fact there's an awful lot of, of of records because he because he was Lord Admiral. He was Lord Admiral of the fleet at the time that the Mary Rose sank. It it happened that he was on the other ship, on the flagship, the Great Harry, but you know, it happened right in front of his eyes. So there's an there's an awful lot of correspondence about his military career in the in the letters and papers of Henry VIII. So you can find out, and because he was so involved in litigation, I mean, he, you know, he was permanently in a court case. Uh, so there's lots about his financial transactions as well. Mm, interesting. So I'll put links to all of that stuff up in the show notes about this so people can mm. can see more. Awesome. Well, thank you for telling us about him. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. With the, the person of the month features that we do at Tudor Times, because we're, we're looking in a reasonable amount of depth at a lot of different people, it's very interesting to see how, how they all interplay. So when you're looking at it for something from the opposite point of view. So last February, when when it was um, Mary the First's 500th anniversary, we looked at her. And now, of course, I'm looking at it from the other point of view to see Dudley's perspective. And it's, it is actually interesting to look at all these things from the different different people's perspectives. Thank you again to Melita Thomas for taking the time to tell us about John Dudley. For more information on him, go to tutortimes.co.uk or see the resources available on the EnglandCast site at englandcast.com. Later on this week, I'll have the episode on Henry VIII's foreign policy towards France. And then after that, we'll have an entire episode just on the field of cloth of gold. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be golden. Yes, I really just said that. Honestly, since I've become a mom, like, I do the corniest stuff. I'm wearing my mom jeans, and I'm saying, it's going to be golden. But it is, so you're going to want to stay tuned. That's going to be next week. This week, Henry VIII and France. All right, have a great week, everybody. I will talk to you in just a couple of days. Bye-bye. Ich hoffe, dass den Bauer bricht, hat so lässlich und sich menschvoll meiden auf mich fern freit von in all this wonderful one born of blood and of bone never yet in us to known not so merry London or the wind send for me in sweating blown or 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.